Well, welcome to The Table, a podcast really all about following Jesus in the midst of cultural change and uncertainty and differing times. Uh, my name is Khalil. I am Sean. And we are so excited to have you joining us for this conversation. We have a really special guest on with us today. Yeah, Jeff Grinnell uh, is a friend of ours, and it's kind of interesting. I met you, Jeff, uh, like kind of randomly several years ago. I wanted to uh, bring in somebody who would challenge my—I was a youth pastor at the time. I wanted to challenge my team, encourage them, and I had seen you on Instagram— uh, this is uh, your your following. You were starting to really uh, digitally disciple and really started getting things rolling with like youthology and stuff. It was kind of early on, and I said that guy looks cool. He seems like he's got some stuff together, and it just really struck up a friendship. Mm. And uh, you've come out to Oregon where we are, uh, and you've done several things for our our network and uh, with uh, youth ministry and, and and the like, but. Uh, so you're somebody who really studies culture, uh, but more than that, you like you love the younger generations, and you love parents uh, who have uh, teenagers. You love the church. Um, you're somebody that is uh, very influential, but uh, you're humble. You love Jesus more than any of it, and so we're so pumped that uh, you're with us, bro. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a fun journey being uh over the last few years uh with you as a friend so yeah I, listen i love I, the fact that you met me through social media is like is that so today that's <laughs> so, what it's that's what it's all about like all of us right now probably could um live outside of our normal circle that we're in <laughs> like our circle of friends and think oh yeah i know them or, uh, you know, feel like we know them because we've seen them like every day or every other day. Yeah. And we see everybody's highlight reel. Right. 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 Um, so it's it's almost like, yeah, they're in my circle, you know, but to honestly watch that happen for real. Yeah. Connect through social media. And then now to have this relationship with you, Sean and Khalil. Yeah, I, I love that. It's cool, man. Yeah, it's awesome. It and uh, as we dive in, we wanted to give people a chance to get to know you just a little bit. So we've got two icebreaker questions <laughs> for you. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, I am I'm at the table and I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah this, let's this is, go. This is basically us doing youth ministry yeah. <laughs> just on here together. <laughs> number one, what number one, which words or phrase do you most overuse? Which word or phrase? Okay, I know that. Okay, if you've listened to my podcast, because I have people tell me this, mm. I say right all the time. <laughs> like, I do. Like, right? Like that. I, like, I just <laughs> right? go there. As I'm talking, I'm like, right? Like, do you agree with me? <laughs> so I don't know if it's like underlying uh, insecurity, <laughs> but I always say right as if like I want them to agree with me. Um, another thing, I probably, and this, that's maybe more fun and negative. Here's the thing. I think all of us have a t-shirt message. Cause I think, I know you're trying to be fun with this, but let me, uh, let me take it to a more serious note. I talk about the next great awakening, the third great awakening all the time. Mm -hmm. I had a student, uh, I'm here at the university right now in my, in my office at North central in Minneapolis. 
And I had a student this morning say to me, man, we're going to start this prayer meeting. And you have this phrase that you use all the time, the next great awakening. Tell me about that. So we, after chapel today, we talked about that phrase. And I thought to myself, okay, maybe my marketing is okay. Because <laughs> they caught that phrase. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a good one, man. We'll probably talk about that a little bit here. Yeah. Um, yeah. N- number two, la- last question. What's the worst job you've ever had? Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> worst job. Uh, high school, sophomore year, right when I was driving, I worked at a car lot. It was like a brand new, you know, new car lot. All the kinds of cars, right? You, you've seen them. And I, I was the, I was the uh, washer, like the car wash boy. And we didn't have like a bay where you brought them in. Uh-huh. I had to go out and wash each car with a hose and refill my bucket up and all that. Because this was back in the 1980s. <laughs> so that, but I did like it because I could be outside and I got sun and all that. So anyway, but, yeah, I did a pizza job. And the pizza job was like, the only good thing about the pizza job was Jennifer. <laughs> and she worked there too. <laughs> In the red. Oh, man. That's awesome, brother. Well, Jeff, it. we are uh, we excited to hang with you and to talk. You recently wrote a new book, and uh, we thought it'd be really cool. Really excited about the material. I'll let you tell us a little bit about it. But uh, what's this book? What What are you trying to address? Can you pull it up. Do you have it? Do you have it with you? I do. Let me. Uh, Is that right there or no? I got this right here. <laughs> We don't have a physical yeah, copy. Yeah, I don't have a physical copy, but we got the, oh, the electronic copy. The electronic, yeah, yeah. I'll get the physical, I promise. The rest of it comes out shortly. Like it's uh so yeah, it releases February two. Um, I've been writing it for a year, and uh, Whitaker House is the publisher. And um, you know, I wrote I wrote two books. I wrote uh two that were self-published. Uh, some some people know uh, a little bit of my story. In 2015, five years ago, my wife passed away. So I wrote a book on uh, hardship for millennials and Gen Z, like to help them with trials because they're so, uh, you know, elite and they are kind of like untouchable. <laughs> and anytime, anytime something bad happens, it's like they raise their fist at God and whatever, right? So I'm like, man, I, am I not in the middle of that? So I wrote that story uh, and that book is called Hashtag If Job Had Twitter. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, um, it did pretty well. I can tell you, though, it's the only book at the time in 2017 when it was released that had a hashtag as a title. So there's ah. one great thing about the book. Yeah, I didn't know that. Hashtag first. And then the second one uh, was this, the youth ministry one, Youthology. And that was that came out last year. Um, written for youth pastors and youth leaders and um, all about the, uh, the the history of youth ministry, the theology of youth ministry, and then how youth ministry can fail the church moving forward, and then the trends, you know, in youth ministry too. So that came out a year ago. Then I wrote this past year, this book called Gen Sexy. And I the, the title, man, was a blast coming up with. <laughs> I ran it by teenagers. Actually, to be honest, a junior high boy is the one that like pushed me over the edge 
to choose that. And then I had to, of course, you know, send it to the publisher. What was really wild, guys, is that whole process of publishing, man, is crazy. Yeah. Because I wasn't even, itch- I wasn't like looking for a publisher, but the first two went well enough. And I got a phone call and Whitaker said, we would like to do a book deal with you. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. great. One title. So they said, would you send us five titles? So I sent them five titles and they signed me to four titles the next four years. Wow. So I'm really excited about it. And this is the first of that. That's cool. Um, idea behind Jen Sexy or Jen Sex YZ, depends on how you want to read it. Mm-hmm. I like to say Jen Sexy because it's a little more uh, current with the population I'm trying to, generation I'm trying to reach. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is in the XYZ, Gen XYZ, to capture three generations. Okay. Mm. The X, or like my generation, which are mostly adults born in the 60s, you know, but grandparents. I have, you know, I have four grandboys and two on the way. So it's that uh, X would be like the, the parents, Y would be the millennials, you guys, Sean. You and Khalil are millennials, pretty right. much. Maybe the maybe the uh, last end of the, uh, you know, the Gen Gen Z. But I put I put you in millennials, and then that that Z being teenagers today, born like ninety eight to like two thousand thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what the next gen is going to be called. You know, some say alpha gen. I kind of like the term um, like like gen. Because they're like always liking something and then yeah. unliking, so you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, the the screenagers, I, I you, we call them screenagers, I don't know, whatever. Um, but this book was written to help uh create a counter culture to the sexual tsunami that has crashed on the shores of America. Mm-hmm. It is un deniable that we are living in probably the worst sexual revolution America has seen. And it's seen several. In the book, I do the history of sexual revolutions in America, you know, from before the, um, from even before the 60s, you know, and the the Jesus movement and some of that, I take it up all, all the way to the day. And I feel like today with the redefinition of marriage, with the gender explosion, right? It's no longer the binary and non-binary. I mean, th- there's no uh, there's no limit to it now. Last I counted, and it's in the book, th- there are over 50 gender types or gender orientations. You know, there's different names. You know, I'm sure that throughout this podcast, I'm going to say things, hear me, on purpose, that challenge the status quo out there. So when I say orientations, some people say gender orientation. Come on. No, no, no. I was born that way or whatever. You know, I, I get that. And, and, you know, I have no problem with that statement. Yeah. If I was born that way, right? A certain way. That's all the more cause to be born again. You know, so, so I mean, some people in the church really don't like that. They're like, no, you weren't born that way. God didn't, you know, we have to start realizing in sin, my mother conceived me. It's okay to say I was born with a tendency toward what my parents, you know, uh, had or generational curses, right? Or whatever. So I have no problem with that argument, generational, um, you know, born a certain way traits or whatever. 
that just to me is the power of being born again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so right. Right. there'll right. be phrases that we use that will come up that will challenge the thinking, but I'm doing it out. I'm not doing it out of ignorance. And I think people will see when they read the book, I, I don't use certain terms to be PC because uh, that's, it has, listen, 10 seconds and I'm done. Generalization. <laughs> generalizations have destroyed America. All Republicans are, all Democrats are, all gay people are, all Christians are, right? I'm yeah. tired of that. Generalizations have destroyed our country. So I use some of them on purpose. That's good. And I would tag on to the generalizations as tribalism, even tribalistic which is ripping our nation apart. And I'm so glad for that 10 seconds. That was great. Very important. Very yeah. cool. So you know, go ahead. Oh, I just want to, you know, let me ask this real quick. Then we're talking about, you know, the, the book title is a little bit provocative even. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes in the Christian circles, we maybe don't even talk about sex that much, or um, a lot of times people feel like we don't do it well. And for that reason, um, maybe even more Christians have disengaged from the conversation. So you, obviously you're leaning in, you want to you wanna have this conversation. Why do you feel that it's so important to have this conversation around sexuality? Great. That to me, that right there, we could spend the rest of this podcast on, like why a book like this. So if you look at the subtitle, it was planned very strategically. Now, you know, most writers do. They don't just throw stuff out there. But it's um, love, sexuality, and youth. And when you look at the book in general, it goes through a history of the sexual revolution. It goes through, um, you know, like what is a sexual revolution. It goes through the theology of sex and sexuality, both, because those are two different things. It goes through the th- theology of them. Then it goes through uh, what I call the hookup chapter, and that's yeah. like dating principles and how um, how messed up sex is, uh, not just sexuality, you know. Um, so the, we talk about the hookup um, culture, and that would be something we could maybe really finish on this podcast later. But um, then I, I do a um, family sexuality chapter. Like to me, you you know, you guys have heard me say this, and I, it, this is not just my material. This is something that I think a lot of people believe. People ask all the time, "What's the number one problem in the youth culture today?" Without a doubt, it's the family. Okay, it's not the opioid crisis. It's not suicide. It's not depression. It's not even sexuality. You will see. There's an argument in the book that it's one B. <laughs> you know, but I put it as two. You, you, you know, because to me, every issue in culture and society rests upon either the failure or the success of the family. Yeah. Healthy families produce healthy children who produce healthy culture and societies. And so really, if we could solve that first, then we solve, we can solve all of our other problems. So really, the book was written to define love, how it impacts sexuality and how sexuality is the key to youth. So that's really why the subtitle is there. Um, Like one of the chapters is the devil stole sex. Yeah. Hmm. And when the devil, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The devil stole love. 
And when the devil stole love, the devil stole sex. Mm-hmm. Get that? So that's why love sucks you out of youth. Um, if Satan can steal love, there's no, there's no reason for biblical sexuality, right? Because it is based on love. Mm-hmm. And then by losing love, we lose sexuality, which is why it's produced chaos in the youth culture. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, taking it back with a love, with a love revolution. And, um, you know, you have a, a, you talk a lot about that in the book too. Um, this might be jumping ahead a little bit more, but, uh, maybe what are a couple of things, uh, tips or, or pieces of advice that you would have for the family unit? We've got a lot of uh, young adults who are mm-hmm. starting their families, uh, some who are who want to get married and all that. And we have those who already have young kids or even teenagers that listen. Um, maybe you know, one or two things that you would say right off the bat, like, hey, you should all you should be doing this if that maybe. Yeah, I think you guys would agree to and probably the listeners would. A healthy theology of sexuality is critical. Yeah. Listen, there's two ways that we define sexual sex and sexuality. We define it, maybe we define it many more than that. I'm going to give you two. I, because I think these two are the center of learning and the center of education and information. You get culture and scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Culture and scripture. Right. If you build a cultural sexuality you get what we see today, mm-hmm. the hookup. You know, back in the day, <laughs> the hookup meant something totally different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, my grandfather would hook up a trailer and haul a load of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? right? Back in the day, my father would get up on the roof and hook up an antenna so we could watch TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back in the day... And I know some young people hate to hear that back in the day, right? Stories. <laughs> when I was a, when, when I was a dad, I would, or when I was like a teenager, I would uh, hang out after the football game and go hook up with my friends. Right. Today, our kids hook up is something totally different. It's like free sex, no strings attached. This thrill relationship. That's it. So that to me is cultural sexuality is defined by what is pop. Hear me. Just because it's popular doesn't mean it's principle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Understand that? Just because it's everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's a biblical principle or it doesn't mean it's a righteous principle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think what I've tried to help with this book and the theology chapter and really throughout, um, at the very end of the book, there's a whole chapter on top, the top five questions on sexuality, which, man, yeah, that's, it's a blast because I go right to it, you know, answering the question. I post the question and in two pages, answer it. Um, this whole cultural versus theological, scriptural um, sexuality is what each of us have to decide. Do I believe what culture says or what scripture says? Right. If yeah. you believe what culture says, guys, it's shifting. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? Think about yes. it. It changed from when I was a kid 
to now that my kids are kids and they're great with what my grandkids are growing up with. Yeah. So cultural sexuality changes with the times. Bob Dylan, it's in the book. I put that the times they are a changing. Mm -hmm. So that's cultural. And you wonder why there's so much confusion, so much um, shift, so much uh, what is right and what is wrong, the struggle with morality, because most people's sexual sexuality base is in culture and that's changing right on the other hand right on the other hand is this idea of scriptural definition not cultural mm -hmm. that's unchanging that says god in genesis and we can get specific i'm sure people on our podcast are going to want to know where i build my sexual ethic i've I've got a whole list of scripture we could I could leave for them, but the scriptural ethic, not the cultural ethic, is built from Genesis to Revelation, mm -hmm. and it hasn't changed. Right. What happens is culture changes so much, they throw out what is old school or what doesn't fit today. Let me tell you something. They use that same... Uh, the scriptures are out of date. We we don't like that part of the scriptures. Okay, whatever. Use that same kind of reasoning when it comes to civil law. In other words, you know, it says 55 here, but I'm just going to drive however I want. Right. Or I know I'm not supposed to take that charger when I go into the uh, store, but I really need a charger bad enough, so I'm going to steal the charger. Just try that for a week of your life, getting rid of uh, civil law. Mm -hmm. So if we've accepted civil law and we live by civil law, then why do we have such a problem with scriptural law? Mm -hmm. I think because it, it, it wants to shape us. Scripture wants to shape us into the image of God. And we're like, I don't want that. Right. I want to be shaped in the image of whoever, whatever icon is pop next. Yeah. So that's what I would say is the number one and the number two way that we shape a theological ethic, culture, and scripture. We can get into family, friends, yeah. you know, show me your friends, right. I'll show you your faith. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your fears, you know, all those kind of things. Show me your friends, I'll show you all, all these different things in our life. So we could talk about peer influence, but I think those are the first two when you ask for two, culture and scripture. Well, that's good. And, you know, I, I love that, that thought that you have that, that the devil stole love, um, which is a reminder that love is God's idea and, and God establishes perfect love and, and these, these perfect guidelines and, and structure for what that looks like and what that means for our lives. And, and that that's somehow been twisted over time along the way. So, you know, thinking for our listeners right now, um, you're really just trying to help us get back to the biblical narrative of love. And what that looks like versus the cultural one is kind of my my summary of what I'm hearing, um, and that's important because I know our listeners want to live their lives according to God's rule and His guidelines. And sometimes on topics like this, it's hard to find direction to to help us. So um, that's that's awesome. So along those lines, oh, were you going to say something? Go ahead. Let me just add, I want to give um, let me give five or so scriptures. Yeah. Okay. Great. Really helpful. How to build a sexuality ethic. And I can do, honestly, I can do it in 
like under a minute for each one. I can do this in three or four minutes. Oh, perfect. Um, as simple as Genesis one through three. I call that the Genesis intent or, you know, uh, the creation intent, however you want to say that. And in Genesis one and three, there's no non-binary set. It is a binary set. Today, we don't like binary. Binary means limited, one or two. It's a mathematical term. Well, we've made it a sexual term and we've said infinity, you know, non-binary. We can be who we want to be. Well, Genesis doesn't allow for that. The creation of a male and a female in a marriage between a man and a woman who have sex together and enjoy each other sexually first, then uh, create, uh, create, procreate, right? So it really is simple. Uh, when, when you look at a Genesis intent. Second, go to the Psalms, the Proverbs, and the Song of Solomon, the wisdom right in the middle of the Old Testament. If there isn't a clearer picture mm. of sex and sexuality in the Psalms, in the, um, the, the Proverbs, and in the um, Song of Solomon, those wisdom texts, I don't know where we're going to find it. And in every one of those texts, it is marriage or sexual relationships between a man and a woman, bar none. We literally could close the book right there mm -hmm. on sexuality and get as pure an understanding of both sex, like even the behavior of sex in marriage. Right. Um, how erotic and powerful some of those texts are. The dangers of sex outside of marriage. Right? Proverbs lists from Proverbs 5 through Proverbs 9. Yep. Five chapters of warning. If you've ever read those, man, the, the, the fool walks by the window of the, right? So, you, um, and pauses there, and it's like a lion in the street ready to pounce on him. So, you you see the, the whole play of Scripture um, in, in the Old Testament just supporting that. Then, go to Matthew 5, Matthew 15, and Matthew 19, okay? And we can put these in, in the manuscript for those that want it, you know. Right. I know we're going to be post-producing this. But Matthew 5, 15, and 19 now. So Genesis, the wisdom scriptures, Matthew 5, 15, and 19. People say all the time, guys, Jesus didn't have anything to say about, right, homosexuality, bestiality, whatever, okay? Let me tell you something. Yes, he did. And even a lot of authors that I've obviously I've been doing a ton of research on this, and I don't consider myself a professional. I just consider myself versed on it for sure. And there are people who even who, who are on the conservative side who say, yeah, Jesus never really said that. Well, he may not have used the word for bestiality or homosexuality, but he certainly clearly used the terms that, that Moses used for marriage between a man and a woman. And Jesus also used two important Greek words that are all inclusive. Right. 
hopefully everyone understands in this podcast, there was not a name for homosexuality or bestiality in the scriptures. Okay. You, you know, we have, there's, there was no um, interpretation of that. Okay. Translation of that concept. It was a broader concept. The word bestiality is used in the Old Testament, but there's a bro um, there's a broader use of two keywords. I won't get into the Greek on that. It's all in the book, but there's a broader word of use of those two words that are all inclusive. And that's what Jesus used that word. So what Jesus was saying, listen, Jesus could have changed with the times. Mm -hmm. He could yeah. have said, you remember, right? Think about this. He could have, he could have evolved. Hello. Right. Because that's a term we use today. Right. right. <laughs> we're evolving. What the scriptures are saying isn't what we're meaning today. Right. Listen, right. Jesus could have over thousands of years from the old, from Moses to him. Yeah. What, yeah. 4,000 years or so, 5,000 yeah. years. He could have changed, but he didn't. He went all the way back to the creation intent and supported sex and sexuality with what God spoke to Moses. He called all of them back to that, called all the Pharisees and the Sadducees, called all of his disciples back to the Genesis narrative, used the same language. So, right. um, yeah. Then you go into Paul. Wow. Okay, I'm just going to throw out Romans 1. Um, I'm going to throw out 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, um, 2 Timothy, uh, Jude, the book of Jude, who clear Jude, the, the brother of Jesus, clearly right. speaks against all kinds of sexual sin. And when he said that, it was all-inclusive. Right. Yeah. Sexual sin outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That's the that's the term Jude used also, and so did Paul. Then finally, the fifth area you'd go. So you have the uh, creation, you have the wisdom literature, you have the messianic, you have the Pauline. Then you have the revelation. Mm -hmm. Wow, I don't. I mean, the scriptures I think are pretty clear, but nobody was as clear as the Holy Spirit speaking through John when John wrote. Jesus' words. He quoted Jesus, and he said, those who practice these things, these sexual things, cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Mm. So it's just a remarkable lesson of theology to walk through the scriptures. Yeah, and I know you're going to do a really great job. I've I've read, I'm going to read the all of the book. I've, I've read a little bit, and it's fantastic. You're mm. going to do a good job of actually kind of calling people back to Jewish literature and how it's so different than how we read and write today. And a bunch of people want a bunch of lists of stuff. That's not the that's not the Hebrew way. And uh, yeah, it's it's narrative, it's metaphor, it's it's uh, it's the story, you know, oh, the overarching. So you, you do a really great job with that, and really appreciate that. Yeah, really appreciate that. Yeah, and I'm just thinking right now because I know like this conversation can spark a lot in a lot of people's minds, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's defensiveness or anger or frustration or just confusion. There's a lot of emotions and feelings that come along the way. Um, and I know that you, this affects you personally. I know that, um, you know, you, your family, it affects your family. So I was just going to ask maybe kind of some final thoughts. Uh, why does this matter so much? Or is there anything you want to just speak to to that and those emotions that maybe people might be feeling? 
Sure. You know, there's a risk with writing a book like this. Um, if you've read any of my social threads, which I loved America before social media. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I were, I don't know about you, but the last decade, right? If I were America's parent today, I would, I would tell America, go sit in the corner and take a time out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would tell America, you are grounded for the next month. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's crazy. Um, but I have posted a few excerpts from the book and some of the key questions from the last chapter and got blasted, completely blasted. You know, um, which, listen, somebody, was, somebody even said to me, you know, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> I didn't even respond. Like, no, of course I don't. <laughs> you know, we never think about this stuff. We just throw it out there and whatever happened, right? Of course, I know, given my situation too a little bit, um, I know that this book would position or compete myself against my younger brother who is gay. And not just gay, but popular, uh, to say the least. And I want you to know, I want our audience to know, um, I don't spend, uh, I spend very little time about our relationship in the book, very little, just supporting it, you know, in there. We have an incredible relationship. I've read parts of the, I sent parts of the book to him. Um, I've had a discussion with he and his partner about this. It's not, this is not, there's no surprises. Mm. He knows that. Um, he knows where I stand theologically on this, and I know where he stands theologically on this. And that's okay. You, it, honestly, it's okay. Yeah. Um, I never want to win an argument and lose a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Listen, I love apologetics, but apologetics is not about winning arguments. Apologetics is not just about truth. Apologia, right? It's not just, listen, apologetics is about relationship too. And whenever you lose relationship in apologetics, take me away. That's not Christianity. Jesus placed relationship within apologetics. Right. So that's that whole crowd of truth, grace, like the preface. If you, if you had a chance to read that, Sean, the yeah. whole preface is on the balance between truth and grace. Right. And how the church has done a poor job with truth. Yeah. Right. In many ways, the, the church has done a poor job applying truth. And then in some ways, the church has done a worse job with grace, like this grace, grace, everything's grace. We don't care what you do. There's a balance there mm -hmm. between truth and grace. And if we don't, if we don't define that better as a church, then, then we aren't doing the gospel. Uh, we aren't doing the gospel any good. So what I've tried to do with that question, Khalil, is to say, I have an ongoing relationship of love and re deep respect for my brother, mm -hmm. who is a highly successful young man um, who has chosen the gay lifestyle. But that has not changed our I'm telling you, over the years, when my kids were younger, I didn't have an issue with having my kids be with he and his partner. I don't have an issue with them coming over to my home mm -hmm. and I'm addressing questions that are in the audience's mind right now. Okay. I listen, I get asked these questions every 
week, every week. Like I had someone say, listen, you writing this book is, that's totally wrong for you to do this. You're destroying your family. And I'm like, uh, do you think that I've not had this conversation before with our family? <laughs> our whole family knows exactly where we, this is not a surprise book. Okay. Mm. Um, so I wrote this, uh, to be honest, I think it's going to get me in trouble more with the church crowd than the unchurched crowd. And let me explain. I, I'm, I hope that there is more grace than truth in the book. Now, let me, don't hang up the podcast. <laughs> I begin with truth because that's where we should begin. Mm-hmm. Truth first, then grace. Okay. Every relationship should be based on truth first, then grace. It can't be grace, 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 grace. Oh, then we throw some truth in once in a while. That's, that's, that's not biblical. Right. Um, so truth, then grace. But after laying the truth out, the rest of the book is grace stories, grace illustrations, uh, a grace plea, a total grace plea for the church um, to help the gay hate debate and not, and not add to it. I bring history in it. In one of the chapters, there is a history of the gay hate debate with the church and, you know, and I debunk one of the most important, crucial stories that happened 25 plus years ago that started the divide between the church. And I don't want to give it away. You have to read it. It's a very po- You Google it right now. The story is very popular. Some of you know what I'm talking about right now. But I deal with that, that situation and how it actually had nothing to do with Christianity hating on gays. But the media drove that narrative. And that, I think, was the beginning 27 years ago of the gay hate debate between the church and gays. If we could have had, I really believe it. I know it sounds simplistic. If we could have gotten that story right with the murder of that young man, then I think the whole church um, would be in a better place to deal with this. Because we should have been in defense of that. And 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 we were, but we were placed as the enemy in that story. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, we really want to encourage everyone listening to to pick up the book and to check it out. Um, something really cool in there. There's there's really practical application and help and guides for um, those working in student ministry, those who are teenagers and young adults and families for some tools to help you walk through the journey. And um, yeah. I love this idea in here too. You want to start a love revolution. I'm going to say God's way. Um, defining God's love for the world. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for sharing with us. And we will have the link for that in our show notes too. Yeah. Well, let's give you uh, the final word. And then uh, also where can where can everybody find you? Social media, um, you know, youthology, all that stuff. Um, so maybe one one final word for our listeners. And then where can we find you? Great. Thanks. First of all, thank you for letting me come to the table and yes. sit down and have these discussions. This is actually the first of many podcasts that are coming up to promote the book. So, um, youthology, Y-T-H-O-L-O-G-Y.com. That's my website. And that on there, if you go to the link tree, that's the easiest way. Mm-hmm. You hit the link tree and you have the choice of purchasing the book right there. All three books are on the link tree. You can go to Amazon and do that. Um, also, uh, again, it comes out February 2. Or you uh, you can go to the YouTube, the iTunes, 
And then the manuscript. So the manuscript, like even to this, I'm going to put together a manuscript for this podcast. And all of all of my podcasts for the past three years that we've done, and then my blogging for the past 13 years is all manuscript on the website. So there's a ton of stuff there to help resource this. I'll say my last word is to be open. And sometimes the most, sometimes it's more important to unlearn than to learn. Mm -hmm. Okay. I really mean that. And if we could just sit back and not assume, and if we could sit back and not generalize, like I said, assumptions and generalizations have destroyed the American society right now. Mm. And we have to be better at assuming and generalizations. Mm. All evangelicals are, right? That, you know, what we talked about earlier. So be really mindful, you know, as you read through the book, as you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, be really mindful of unlearning some things. And then maybe revelation, revelatory learning of whatever's in the book. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. That's great. Thank you so Thanks, much um, for our listeners. Thank you so much for, for listening. And uh, thank you, Jeff, for your words. Uh, we just want to encourage you, our listener, to to be sure to rate and review our podcast. That means the world to us and helps us to continue to reach more people, share this message with someone. And uh, as we send you out about your week and about your life, I would encourage you to invite someone to your table that has a different perspective than you on this conversation around sexuality so we can do exactly what Jeff said, unlearn some of the things we have learned and learn to walk in grace and love with those who are different than us. Thanks for coming to the table. Thank you.